football is actually being played, I typically watch alone in my house. It's my fault. I'm hard to watch sports with. I'm a very analytical watcher, which can make it hard for anyone to engage with me during a game. If you have a spouse or partner who watches and enjoys football as much as you do, don't take that for granted. Enjoy it. You have a good thing going. If, though, like me, you don't have that, try asking your spouse or partner to watch the English game with you. It's a limited series available on Netflix, and in my opinion, it's outstanding. And if you play your cards right, then maybe, just maybe, it will be the gateway toward the two of you watching real football once this pandemic is over. I'm going to spend a few minutes explaining why I loved it, but I will do my best to avoid any spoilers. Even so, if you want to be super safe, go watch the six episodes and then come back and listen to the rest of this. I'll still be here when you get back. But be warned about one thing first. This isn't a documentary about old-timey football intended for the hardcore fan. This is Downton Abbey with just enough football to keep you interested. The Downton Abbey parts to the story will keep the non-football fan in your life engaged while you feast on the football parts and secretly enjoy the non-football parts too. I'll just go ahead and admit this now. I loved Downton Abbey. I loved it more during the first three seasons before stupid Dan Stevens ruined it all, but I did. I loved it. If you want to criticize me, go ahead. I can take it. If you didn't like Downton Abbey, though, you should still try this. You might just think about football in a way you haven't before. That's what happened to me. The series takes place in England in 1879. Football is a gentleman's game dominated by the rich upper class. They've standardized the rules, one of them being that no one is allowed to get paid to play. Getting paid to play is a barbaric thought to these men. The grand prize that these teams play for each year is the FA Cup. Seeing these men value the FA Cup the way that they do made me sad. I haven't watched an FA Cup match in two years. As far as I'm concerned, the FA Cup is a diversion from what I really enjoy, the Premier League. It just doesn't have the same relevance as I felt like it had even just 10 years ago. But in the late 19th century, this cup was everything. And in 1879, the working class wants in. Teams were being created and entered into the tournament every year. Just as we discuss whenever we do these incomplete, unofficial club histories on our podcast over the years, many teams were created within villages that are built around a single factory or workshop. The men work long hours throughout the week for a pitiful wage, and then they show up to play football together on Saturdays against the neighboring villages. If they get lucky, they might win a few matches in the FA Cup and get to travel to play one of the rich teams. The class disparity is on full display in this series, and isn't it amazing how relatable that is today? As I record this, the arguments in 1879 England are basically the same as 2020 England. During this coronavirus-induced break, the news stories have centered around the legalities of clubs opting to furlough their non-playing employees and forcing them to collect their wages from the English government. Meanwhile, players are receiving full wages, creating a discrepancy from what the system intended. There are differences, yes, but class disparity remains a compelling story that we want to watch because of its remaining relevance. Will there ever be a day when that changes? There are some amazing lines in the script that highlight the best parts of this show. The poor village of Darwin and its employees in the cotton mill are undergoing wage cuts that threaten the team's ability to participate in the FA Cup quarterfinal. In an emotional scene, the village rallies around the team, pitching in their meager wages to fund the team's train ride to the game. 
The main character, Fergus Souter, sees it happening and asks, Don't these people need the money? The response he gets is the first great line. Yes, the people need money, but they need football more. Why do we do it? Why do we buy tickets, kits, and cable TV packages to watch our favorite clubs? Most of us are spending money that would likely be better spent elsewhere, but we do it anyway. Why? Because we need football more. We have fallen in love, and we can't dream of parting with this sport or our chosen club. Those who haven't fallen in love just can't understand. The second line is directed toward Fergus Souter at a particularly important time. It's, quote, I've seen you play. It's what music must look like, end quote. Okay, admittedly, outside of the context of the show, this line now sounds cheesy. But isn't that football when played at its highest level? It's visual music. The cliche of football being the beautiful game is so, so true. Apparently, that's been the case for 150 years. The third statement is one that I've brought up on the pod over and over again throughout the years. Quote, There's nothing better for your game than a settled private life and nothing worse than an unsettled one, end quote. How many times have I said that it would be nice if we could get into training, into the heads of the players that we want to have on our FPL squads? If we could, we would know whether or not they are likely to have a good match. Alas, that's never going to be possible, except in a dramatized setting like the one this series provides. There were three other things that were put on full, dramatic display in the English game. The first is what it means to be the captain of a football squad. I remember when I first got into the Premier League, I thought it was a little weird that so much emphasis was placed on who was named captain. Sure, the captain gets to have a little more say with a referee during the match, but I had no idea why it was such a lofty position. I've been watching pretty much every American sports league since I was three. Most of the time, I couldn't tell you who the captain of my favorite team is. It's mostly a symbolic position, at least on the field or the court. Now, I know that this was a dramatic series based on real events, and therefore... Maybe not entirely realistic, but the manager seemed to be a little bit more than just a figurehead position. The captain dictated positioning and strategy and gave the inspirational speeches. The style of play, even when both sides consisted of gentlemen, was primitive and brutal. There was little in the way of formation. Teams seemed to bunch together and try to take the other team's players out on the way to their goal. It was rugby minus the use of hands. There was little attention to positions and spacing. It just seemed so simple. And the tackles. My goodness, the tackles. If Dave ever watches this series, the football tackles will be his favorite part. This is English football with a capital English. The more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? And lastly, there's the FA board itself. In the English game... The FA board consists of the rich upper class. The working class has no representation. I know it might not be the most accurate, but I couldn't help but think about the current FA and the dubious goals committee and other things that we like to make fun of when there are matches. I ask you again, has football changed at all in the last 150 years? The answer is yes, but also no. And I think I'm okay with that. No, I don't have a choice. I either have to be or I have to abandon this game that I love. I know that nearly every country in the world has its own league at this point, and I know that I could choose to follow any one of them as my favorite league. But in 2006, in the afterglow of that year's World Cup, when my internet and television access was expanding to include European football, 
I made a conscious decision. I chose to look at the football league of the United States motherland, England. That's when I found the Premier League. I found Liverpool. I fell in love. And despite all the flaws of the game, despite the negative ways in which money has impacted the game, despite the class disparity that exists still today, my love is stronger than ever. If anything, knowing that at its core, the game that was played 150 years ago is the same game that is played today makes my love ever deeper. And as I see it, the English game is just so beautiful.